You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of 2 Thessalonians. Here's Nate. Well, as I mentioned before, 2 Thessalonians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica very shortly after actually initially being in the city of Thessalonica, planting the church in Thessalonica, preaching the gospel there for the very first time. After experiencing persecution, he fled to Berea. From Berea, he secretly fled to Athens, where he reconvened with Silas and Timothy, sending them from Athens back to the Macedonian state of which the city of Thessalonica was part. Uh, Timothy went to Thessalonica and it appears, appears that Silas went to Philippi. Paul then, by himself, left Athens and went to Corinth, where Timothy and Silas, after leaving the Macedonian state, went to Corinth to reconnect with Paul. And Paul wrote to them, First uh, Thessalonians uh, and Second uh, Thessalonians, from that place of conflict in Corinth. Once his first letter to the Thessalonian church was received, Paul then heard a report amongst and from the Thessalonians. That report was twofold. One thing that Paul heard was that their persecution had continued, uh, but that in the midst of that persecution, some of them, through false prophecies and false teachers and even a forged letter claiming to have been from Paul, uh, the Thessalonians were beginning to think that they were actually in the day of the Lord that Paul had prophesied about and spoken of and clarified in more detail in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so they were worried that they were going to be going through a season of time where they were experiencing the wrath of God. Secondly, so Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians to clear up that confusion, and we saw that in chapter 2. But secondly, Paul had also heard a report that there were some who were refusing to work with their hands, provide for themselves, labor, perhaps even as an extension of this misunderstanding of the day of the Lord. Uh, and so Paul wrote to correct that behavior amongst the Thessalonian church. And that's really what we have in this third chapter. Chapter one is a word of uh, encouragement. Chapter two is a word of uh, instruction. And chapter three is a word of exhortation or correction towards those who refused to work. But before he says that, he begins this chapter in verse one with a plea for prayer. He says, finally, verse one, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And so Paul enters into this third and final section of 2 Thessalonians with the word finally, introducing the last major part of this letter. And Paul pleads with them to pray for us. And by us, Paul, of course, is referring to himself, Silas, Timothy, and I like to think that by extension, he's referring to any minister of the gospel. Paul was not above needing prayer. He knew that he needed prayer. He knew that he needed the Thessalonian church to pray for him there in that city of Corinth, a difficult place to conduct ministry. And he said, pray for us. 
But specifically, this is what he wanted prayer for, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. I think that in one sense, what Paul was doing is he was acknowledging the success of his labor, his ministry, his preaching was in part due to God blessing his word as they proclaimed it. Now, in one sense, this is a beautiful prayer because nothing happens without the word of God. Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Someone has to make that proclamation. And so Paul understood this is vital to the success of the gospel, the success of the church. Someone has to proclaim the word of the Lord. But he also understood that there are different types of reception of God's word. Sometimes uh, the word will be rejected. There will be a stiffening of the neck. And other times there will be a great reception. That's why Paul said, pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. The Thessalonians were an example of those who had received it wholeheartedly. And remembering that reception, Paul says, pray that that would be the reception of others when they hear the word of the Lord here in Corinth and in other cities coming from my mouth along with Silas and uh, Timothy. You know, it's one thing to pray for the messenger and it's another thing to pray for the message, but it's another thing entirely to pray for the hearers, those who are going to receive that message, praying that the soil of their hearts would be prepared for the word of God as it goes forth. And Paul asked for prayer that the word would be unchained, unshackled, speed ahead, be honored. Uh, just a powerful uh, prayer. And God's people should still be praying for the effectiveness of God's word. I know in our fellowship, one of the most powerful prayers and one of the things I love hearing people pray for the most is for the reception of God's people as the word of God goes out. And I find that when we pray in that way, God hears that prayer. Secondly, though, he also says, pray for me that verse two, we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. Uh, Paul also was praying for deliverance from wicked and evil men. Now, the Thessalonians knew the kind of person that Paul was speaking of. They'd had their fair share of dealings with wicked and evil men, people who were jealous of the gospel, jealous of the success of the gospel, did not want to see Paul and his companions and the word of Christ gain any traction or any following. And so Paul's prayer, listen to this, was not so much that he would have victory over these wicked and evil men, but that he would be delivered from the wicked and evil men. I think in one sense, Paul was willing to just simply commit himself, his labor, uh, and all of that to the Lord, and, and to as well commit these wicked and evil men to the Lord. He didn't really want to engage them or try to win victory over them. He just is saying, listen, I just want to be delivered from them so that I can continue in this work and ministry 
that God has set before me. Pray for those in your life who are speaking the word of God. No doubt many of them are ministering in cultures and environments that there's a little bit of hostility and perhaps fear attached to the communication of the gospel and the word of God. And so pray for them, that they would have boldness, but also deliverance from wicked and evil men, that they would not have to get entangled and ensnared in uh, public debates and, uh, you know, the ridicule of articles and blogs and critics, those who would want to slow down their ministry. Paul said, pray for us to be delivered from these wicked and evil men. Making the little editorial comment there in verse 2, for not all have faith. Uh, this is a simple, I, I think, but yet helpful declaration. And uh, part of this persecution was coming from the lack of faith of these wicked and evil men. They may have looked as if they had faith, but Paul says that, that not all have faith. But verse 3, the Lord, he says, is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Paul turns his attention to the Lord and to the Thessalonians in the midst of trial. This is a great thing to do. He says the Lord is faithful. Uh, Paul was not confident in the Thessalonians ability to establish and guard themselves, but he was confident, hopeful, and sure in the Lord. As Paul said to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I might not be able to say that I, I'm confident and sure that every person that I minister to, every person that's a real believer, is really going to show a lot of fruit in this life or grow in this life or be consecrated in this life. But I am sure that the one who began the work in them will complete the work in them at the day of Jesus Christ. And so Paul said, the Lord is faithful. Now in verse 4, he continues this theme of prayer and thanksgiving by saying, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. He says, listen, we have a confidence in the Lord. It's not necessarily a confidence in you, but it's a confidence in the Lord about you. And I think it's important as we conduct ministry, it's important to look in the eye of every single person that God has asked us to minister to and to, in our mind's eye, say, listen, whether or not I have confidence in them, I do have the confidence in the Lord who is in them. And the Lord is able to change them. The Lord is able to transform them. The Lord is able to give them victory. This hope is a necessary ingredient for all of God's ministers. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, because of the new covenant, he said, we have such hope. There must be hope inside the heart of the ministers who serve and speak and minister on God's behalf. And so Paul said that. He says, we have confidence in the Lord about you 
you're going to do the things that we command. And he would command a couple of things before this letter is through. And this blessing, this prayer kind of wish here in verse 5, he says, May the Lord direct your hearts to to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Here's Paul's prayer. Paul prays for them that God would direct their hearts. And specifically, that he would direct their hearts to two places. To the love of God, number one. You know, just a deep love for the gospel, a passion for the love of God, an understanding of God's love for them, but also a love of God within them, a love for God. But secondly, he says, and two, the steadfastness of Christ. Really, these two things are the condensation, the condensed version of just a a great maturity for a believer. To one, be so secure in the love of God, but to secondly, have the steadfastness of Christ. And I find that oftentimes the answer to dilemmas and trials and difficulties or confusion is found in one of these two things. Think about the love of God, reconnect with that wonderful doctrine and truth, and remember the steadfastness and sacrifice and endurance of Jesus, and allow that model and that inspiration to fill your heart uh, as well. We are to, as Hebrews 12 verse 2 tells us, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, verse six, he begins this correction or warning or exhortation that I've spoken to you about. He says, now we command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not accord with the tradition that you receive from us. So up until this point, we don't really know the exact specifics, and we'll get a few more details in some of the coming sentences. But Paul says, listen, church there in Thessalonica, keep away from any brother. You know, they're named as a believer. Keep away from any brother who is walking. He's living a life of idleness. We'll talk about that in a moment. Then he says this interesting thing. He says, and not in accord with the tradition that you see uh, received from us. And then in verse 7, he goes on to talk about that specific tradition that they'd received from Paul and Silas and Timothy. What was that tradition? He says, verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul records and says, listen, you need to know this. Uh, If there's an idle person in your midst, don't spend time with them. Keep away from them. You know the kind of life we lived in front of you. You're supposed to imitate us. And apparently when Paul was there with Silas and Timothy in Thessalonica, whether it was a short three-week journey, as some suspect, or a longer time, as others suspect. Whatever the case might be, when Paul was there originally and initially, 
He says, you know that we weren't idle amongst you. You know that we paid for all of our bread, all of our meals. And you know that we toiled and we labored and we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul had said a very similar thing, almost an identical thing, in his first letter to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So Paul tells them that that manner of ministry was actually a, a tradition or an imitation for them uh, to follow. Uh, it's very possible, of course, that the same pattern that Paul had picked up in Corinth was the pattern that he had picked up and had started there in Thessalonica. Uh, perhaps building tents, the trade that he was actually trained in, building tents and uh, providing for himself and his own needs in that kind of way. The truth of the matter is that there were some churches that Paul received financial support from, and there were some churches that Paul rejected financial support from, or perhaps some churches that there just wasn't the possibility of financial support. That kind of maturity was not yet present in that particular local church. And so Paul worked with his hands there in Thessalonica to provide for his own needs. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but he gives them this exhortation, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. Now, it does seem that there are certain sins that we seem happy to forget. You know, we talk about drunkenness, but we forget about gluttony. We talk about lust, but we forget about greed. We uh, talk about hate, but we forget about something perhaps like idleness, but scripture has much to say about it. Now, some suggest that this idleness had been brought on by that misunderstanding of the teaching concerning the day of the Lord. And you could perhaps understand that to a degree. If there were those who thought they were living in the tribulation uh, period, perhaps it would be justified or make a little sense to quit their work or whatever it might be. We don't know if that's the case. We know that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul had told them to admonish the idol. We know that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he had instructed them to live quiet and peaceful lives and to uh, work with their own hands to provide uh, for themselves. And so uh, we know that there was a, at least a little bit of direction and instruction that had been given to the Thessalonian church. But Paul tells them here to keep away from the person given to idleness. And here now he has to give them a broader exhortation to deal with now the problem of idleness inside of their church. The simple exhortation phase or stage was gone. And now they were going to have to remove people uh, from their midst. But this would stand as a great exhortation to us. We're to work hard. We're to be diligent. We're not to be lazy. We're to obey the Proverbs that tell us uh, the fate of the sluggard. Proverbs 10 verse 26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. These are unpleasant things. So is the sluggard to those who send him. Uh, lazy people are an irritation to their employers, and which is often the reason why they never get the good promotions or the good jobs. 
And so Christians are to be hard-working individuals. And Paul said, you should look at my life as an example of that hard-working diligence. Now, lest someone come to the conclusion that for a minister to receive a salary from a local church is a wrong uh, thing, Paul corrects that idea immediately. He says, verse 9, It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So Paul lets them know. He says, listen, it's not like we didn't have the right when we were among you to live from your finances and to be uh, paid by you for that work of ministry. It's just that we did it that way in Thessalonica to live as examples uh, before you. Now, uh, the New Testament is clear on this particular subject. Probably the greatest place to go would be 1 Corinthians chapter 9, especially verse 3 through 14. There were those in Corinth who were wondering if Paul was a legitimate apostle because when he was in Corinth, he had not received payment from the Corinthian church. <laughs> sort of an interesting argument there. And in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 3 through 14, Paul gave them, by my count, seven reasons why it would have been perfectly fine for him to receive compensation there in Corinth and in any uh, situation in which he was preaching the gospel. We don't have time to read each one of these uh, seven reasons or the verses attached to them. But basically, uh, the reasons are, number one, the other apostles and leaders had done that. Verse 3 through 6 in 1 Corinthians 9. Reason number two, we see this principle in other areas of life. Uh, things like a soldier or a farmer or a rancher. They actually live from the thing that they're doing. Or number three, this principle is found in the example of the law. You shall not muzzle an ox when it shreds out the grain kind of thing. Uh, principle number four, we know that there's a great value for spiritual things. In fact, more valuable than physical things. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 11. Reason number five is that Paul's service in Corinth was greater than anyone else's. You find that in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 12. And reason number six, there is biblical precedent for receiving support for ministry by simply looking at the priesthood, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 13. And the final reason, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 14, is that Jesus said so. He said, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And I mention this not because I have uh, any dog in the fight when it comes to you and whoever might be listening to this particular teaching, but in part because I know that maturity for a believer in one sense is evidenced through a discipline of giving to their local church. 
Some would ask, should we give a tithe or a tenth of our income? I believe that there are those who are in a very difficult place financially who should not yet give a tenth of their income, but should work to build up to a tenth. And I believe that there are those who should give more than a tenth unto the Lord and to uh, their local church, and then additionally to other missionaries and uh, ministries. And so Paul tells them, look, it, it was my right to receive, but I didn't to set an example before you. For verse 10, even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Uh, notice Paul says he's not willing uh, to work, not a person who is unable to work, but is unwilling to work. For we hear, verse 11, that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Uh, they were actually not just refraining from work, but they were interfering with the work of others and were causing problems in the body of Christ because of their gossip and slander and uh, just a general disposition of stirring up trouble. I'm firmly convinced that many people need more to do, <laughs> more to fill their hands with in life and ministry, which would uh, keep them from so much troublemaking. Now, verse 12, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And so once again, just an exhortation here to work hard and, the, and commanded in the Lord here to work quietly and earn their own living, reiterating what Paul had said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, verse 13, he says, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. You know, the majority of the church in Thessalonica had not given themselves to this laziness. And so he encourages them, hey, don't grow weary in doing good. Remember the reward. You know, some of you, as you listen to this, you're perhaps tired, uh, tired in ministry. And maybe even some of you getting a little tired of ministry. Perhaps Paul's word is the word that you need to hear. Do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone, verse 14, does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Uh, they had to actually discipline the person who was unwilling to work. He says, listen, take note of them, have nothing to do with them, that they may be ashamed. Uh, that shame would be a discipline upon them and perhaps lead them to repentance. He says, verse 15, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he had to have one of the Corinthians uh, disciplined for grave and persistent sexual immorality. But then Paul wrote to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and told them, listen, don't let him be overwhelmed by too much sorrow. He's been corrected. Reaffirm your love for him. Remember, he's not, as Paul said in this verse, verse 15, an enemy. He is still a brother. Now he closes out this epistle by saying in verse 16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every 
way. Paul praying for this group that he exhorted. He says, the Lord be with you all. Not that the Lord wasn't with them, but I think Paul was praying for a deeper fellowship between the Thessalonians and the Lord himself. I, Paul, verse 17, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way that I write. Now remember, they had been duped by fake letters from Paul. And so Paul now sets this pattern down. He probably had an amanuensis who was writing for him. But at the end of his epistles, he would pick up the pen himself and with his own handwriting and his own signature, he would write for a moment so that people could verify the authenticity of what was being written. He says in verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And as is, it, as is the case so often in Paul's epistles, he closes with a blessing of grace. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.